Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss X-Men number three. Uh, this one's got a cover date of December 1991 on sale, October 15th, 1991. Cover price of a dollar. It's a 22-pager. Title's Fallout. Ooh, yeah. It's one of my favorite games. Really? Yeah. Never played Fallout. You never played any of the Fallouts? No, you know, you hear good things, but it's not really my... It's like, I'm not really... It's like a third-person thing, right? No, it's a first-person. Or a first-person thing. Yeah. Third-person, third-person. I don't like either of them. Oh, okay. Just not my... Uh, I'm a side-scroller guy, you know that. Oh, well, sometimes it's good to mix things up. Sometimes I do, but I'm very picky about the things that I mix things up with. Just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, it's all right. No judgment. Um, the original two Fallout games uh, were like a top-down st- strategy game, so maybe that's more your speed. It depends. Yeah, I mean, when you say top-down, I immediately think of Metal Gear, so that's how far back I go. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's isometric, so m- more, like a, more like a Diablo view okay. but 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 similar to like uh, a metal gear where um yeah there's an element where you have to sometimes use stealth you got to use strategy sometimes you just got to go fighting yeah. is it like diablo because i never did like diablo not really no diablo was too much grinding back when grinding wasn't called grinding yeah it's the original grinder it a, <laughs> that's it's just a lot of work the original grinder <laughs> <laughs> totally different meaning well, this cover is mixed, in my opinion. It's I'd buy, I'd get it as a T-shirt just because it stokes those nostalgia memories. I remember buying this issue. That's probably the only reason why, though. I think the problem here is that it's just too darn busy. Um, I yeah, like, it is very busy. That's that's true. I like the Psylocke. I like Storm. I like Colossus. Um, Wolverine's okay, but I just don't like that he's like upside down in a goofy pose. Um, and then everybody else is just kind of okay because they're they're in the background and they get a lot less detail. Uh, Beast is a, is good as well, and 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 um, Marvel Girl, Jean Grey. I, I think everybody's good. I just don't know. Like, Iceman is not shooting at anybody, so he should be aiming back at Rogue or something. <laughs> and, and Beast looks like he's just like, can I? Can I get in on this party? Uh, Psylocke and, and Jean Grey are, look fine in the front. And what is, I don't know if Beast is going to attack Psylocke or something. Um, There's a perspective issue with Beast. Because he's, like what, what is he doing there? He's behind Psylocke and he's gigantic. And Cyclops is kind of doing the same thing. He's sort of blasting off into nowhere. And I want to think he's blasting at Archangel. But he's kind of—he's—it's a major miss for him. He's blasting between Wolverine and Archangel. So, I like how busy it is, but I wish that it was—if it's going to be this busy, everybody needs to be doing something. So, if you get rid of Iceman, you get rid of Cyclops, you get rid of Beast. I think you have a less busy, better cover. You know, this was never anybody's idea—at least at the time—but. <laughs> Given that this is Chris Claremont's last issue, I kind of wish it would have been sort of a uh, X-Men 94 uh, inspired cover, which would technically have been his first issue. I mean, that's not a great cover either, but (laughs) he could have done something like... Jim Lee could have spruced it up. Yeah, Count Nefaria would be Magneto, and then you'd have all the X-Men just kind of like falling... uh, the, I'm looking at the cover right now. Blackbird's in the background, and it's being exploded, so that could just be like Asteroid M. Like, you could have done sort of a neat, like, you know, the end rhymes with the beginning type deal, uh, but they went with this, which is whatever. I mean, again, nobody would have thought about that whole X-Men 94. I also think that um, in 2022, we're far more into nostalgia than we were back in 1992. So, For sure. So. I mean, at the time, I don't even think I knew really like who Chris Claremont was. Exactly. But, but that's probably not true of older readers. They probably did. I don't know. Um, or we do a like a Chris Claremont thing where he's like in the in the classic Marvels uh, where they did the anniversary issues with the all the characters on the sides and then a, a kind of a, a head 
it's oh. a large head in the middle. You have Chris Claremont in the middle and all the X-Men along the borders. But, that yeah. would that would fly today and people would love it and buy yeah. tons of copies back then. People would be like, who's this old man on my cover of my well, X-Men back, comic? Back then it might not have flown so well. But yeah, it, was, it would have been... It would have been a nice send-off, whereas we don't get much no. in this issue. I mean, if you think about, like, who did you know what they looked like, it probably would be Stanley and only Stanley, unless you were really reading those Marvel bullpen. Um, they would do uh, little bios on some of the creative staff in the 80s. Yeah. But if you weren't following those, my guess is that people only knew what Stanley looked like. I mean, at this time, I probably knew what Jim Lee Rob Liefeld, maybe Todd maybe. McFarlane. Yeah, Todd those Mc... three guys look like Todd McFarlane had his button fly jeans commercials. Well, that was Rob Liefeld. Oh, Rob Liefeld, rather. Uh, yeah. I guess I have to imagine. Yeah, uh, either Marvel Unlimited or you remember the um, the comic book catalogs where you'd get like all the back issues and the new issues. It was like West Coast Comics or something like that. Yep. Yeah. I have to imagine that those probably featured some articles about like new artists of the 90s with pictures and interviews. I don't remember, uh, to be honest, but. Yeah, I don't either. I did look forward to those catalogs showing up, though. They were neat. I would pour through them and like. Great way to kill a couple hours. (laughs) I'm going to get this comic and, oh, you know what? $7 for this issue. That's actually, that's okay. That's reasonable. Uh (laughs) And yeah, every every few months I'd I'd place a big order and wait to run home every day to see if the UPS man had shown up with my box of comics. It's good times. Good times. So so innocent. <laughs> and here we are. Anyways, yeah. So Stanley proudly presents Chris Claremont's final issue of the X Men. I guess probably Wizard was coming out at this time, so I probably did know a little bit more about. Chris Claremont's final issue because of Wizard. Did you have a subscription to Wizard? No, but I picked them. I picked up like probably every every issue that I saw. So probably every other issue. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess that any Wizard issue I read was probably yours because <laughs> I I think they were expensive and they were expensive, but they really well. I don't know. I I just they 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 tapped into whatever it was that was exciting for me about comics at the time. So yeah, I wouldn't pick up every issue and I don't know if I still have them. It'd be kind of neat if I did, but I don't know. That and like Nintendo Power, those are fun to find too. So speaking, I was just going to mention that. So a while ago I found a bunch of back issues of Nintendo Power and I bought them. They're like a buck a piece or whatever. Uh, and every now and again, I'll 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 thumb through it and it's it's fun to read those articles and read those little strategy guides. And then you see like the horribly, horribly nineties advertisements for whatever's coming out next. It's a good time. Um, that I had a subscription to. Yeah. That was like, yeah, Nintendo power. I saw the, I think I, somebody brought in the first issue to school oh, sure. and I was like, I gotta get this. <laughs> and I subscribed immediately or I convinced my mom to subscribe immediately. So I have the first not the first issue because by then too, that was already late. out. Yeah. So I have issue. I have the first, uh, the the second through thirteenth issues. Okay, for sure somewhere. So just just a one year subscription. Then you were out. I think I was out. Yeah, I probably then bought more here and there, but I think by after that first year, the excitement kind of dwindled. Sure, of course. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe I had two years of description. Who knows? I don't remember how the last issue's credits were, but this one has uh, by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee. Chris Claremont feels like it's bolder text, and it's above Jim Lee. I don't know if that's how it was in the last issue, but... I feel like the last names of both Claremont and Jim Jim Lee... Claremont and Lee are bold. Yeah. Bolder. Yeah. Chris and Jim are less bold. Yes. It probably only looks bigger because there's more letters in Chris's name. But anyways, <laughs> we get sort of a kind of like a full page homage spread, if you will, um, of just like the uh, is this the blue team or the gold team? That's that's one of the teams. Okay. plus Magneto. The corrupted uh, team. I forget which is which. The corrupted team hanging out with Magneto. The other team. The uncanny team is in a transparent glider that um, Forge has built. Um, and you can see 
uh, Storm and Archangel outside of the transparent glider. And you see an asteroid M in the distance. So I, I'm going to go back and probably going to just beat this to death. But this panel, this issue, to me, does not feel like they were ramping up towards Chris Claremont's last issue. I'm, I, I, I think Marvel just doesn't care. I would agree. I would completely agree. And that's why it just there was no plan in this. It was just like, Chris, you're not writing this anymore. Jim Lee is. Bye. And, and, and I based that on the, at the beginning, we get Chris Claremont's final issue of the X-Men. And at the end we get like a CSC out note. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Yep. Well, we don't, we're reading in Marvel unlimited. So, uh, in theory there, there might, well, I don't even know if there's a letters column yet because it's X-Men 3, but there could be. There might be a yeah, little bit more in the back to be like, Chris Claremont's illustrious career started with blah, 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 blah. Uh, and we didn't do that research, so... You know. Well, anyways, let's continue on with the credits. It's Scott Williams inking Tom Orzkowski's lettering. Joe Rosas is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. Uh, and we get some dialogue between Angel and Storm talking about, uh, how they're able to fly in the upper atmosphere and Angel's like, man, Apocalypse, I hate him because he gave me these wings, but I can fly in space. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and at this point, you're kind of like, man, like reality's kind of gone off the rails. Well, they, they sort of say that in the beginning. It's like a, it's a whole thing about like normally humans can't be in space, but this doesn't apply to the uncanny X-Men. So, you know, yeah, it's it's a space adventure. Everybody's in a in a in an invisible jet that's built built by Forge, which is fine. Uh, Archangel and Storm are flying around in, in space, which, you know, they got weird outfits on to protect them i'm okay with it it's sci-fi it's silly again probably reading too much between the lines i almost wonder if chris claremont's writing uh an eloquent way of saying this is stupid <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is stupid but it's the 90s and nobody cares so the x-men are flying around in space i don't you know i don't have a problem with the x-men flying around in space <laughs> Well, this is the first of all of this kind of changing around because I feel like, again, you know, you remember when Storm turned into a space whale? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, but I mean, they flew up in a space shuttle. They had Shi'ar technology. There's a lot of explanation is like, how did the X-Men get in space? Whereas here it's like, yeah, Forge built a glider and um, Storm used solar winds to get them as, as high as possible. And that's your answer. Forge. They didn't have <laughs> Forge back then. Now they have Forge. Fortune knows how to fly in space. It's his mutant power. Sure. Yep. Well, anyways, they're they're going to fly up and uh, take on the newly corrupted X Men. Everybody gets everybody everybody in this issue gets at least one line of dialogue, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of characters in this issue, so I think making sure that everybody gets something to do or a line of dialogue kind of was a was sort of sort of a bit of a uh, too much for this issue oh my god there's there's so much dialogue in here um then we ground ourselves back on earth where nick fury and val cooper uh are running well, hold on hold on oh. so, so we gotta bob bobby gets his only line here which is to say oh. uh boy this, this i hate the, the why does the ship have to be transparent and that's pretty much all that bobby does he might yeah. shoot some ice later <laughs> i skipped over that because it wasn't important it's not important, but I mean, it is important to note that the uh, the whole reason they're in a transparent ship that doesn't have engines is because there is none of the things that they're using have metal in them. Sure. Somehow, even though it looks like they're wearing these cosmic uh, metal metallic space suits, but again, you know, Forge is there, so. Forge gets the whole explanation for that. Well, we'll call it uh, fiberglass and other plastic polymers. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then so back on on planet Earth, they're trying to decide what are they going to do? Are they going to use this plasma cannon against uh, asteroid M? Uh, Some people are pushing one way. Other people are pushing the other way. Um, No one brings up the Magneto protocol in this issue. (sighs) I think, again, Chris Claremont's like, that's dumb. <laughs> You're right. I mean, I was reading this whole issue, and I was going to ask, like, what is the Magneto Protocols? Because apparently we're both wrong. It has nothing to do with the plasma cannon, and it has nothing to do with what Moira did to his 
biology. I'm just assuming it is the plasma cannon because that's the only thing they do. Yeah, sure. Well, Nick Fury, he doesn't want to fire it off, does he? No, he's like, let's give the X-Men. I mean, he doesn't say it, but I, I feel like he's like, if we screw this up, we're basically creating a war between humans and mutants and it's not going to go well for us yeah our orders are plain we need to fire off the plasma cannon and everybody that's on the asteroid are to be destroyed and apparently uh the the transparent glider has a tv because they're watching this yeah i thought that was pretty stupid <laughs> and they're like, it's oh. like wait are they are the x-men tapped into this <laughs> yeah they've been watching this whole security briefing and they're like well i guess if we can't get in and out quick enough they're going to kill us all so interesting that this is the 90s reaction to a mutant nation, whereas nowadays we get a whole different reaction to a mutant nation. Right. I guess they should, Magneto should have just waited. That's right. He just needed to bide his time. Do you feel like Jonathan Hickman seriously read these first three issues and was like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it different? Maybe. Probably. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure we talked about this. I'm sure he was of our age reading these things, being like, this is awesome. And then probably reread them as an adult. It's like, yeah, this could be better. I got yeah. an idea. <laughs> uh, Banshee goes through sort of a, a little diatribe of like, they hate us because we got people who can stick to walls and then a big super being that can devour planets and every new or superhuman that pops up takes away from those homo sapiens. Which I which I, I like. I yeah. mean, you know, they're reestablishing the norm from back in the sixties, but I do like the at one extreme we have a creature who eats planets, at the other, uh, a guy who sticks to walls and humans are just in the middle of that and uh they have to deal with all this stuff. No wonder they don't like us. <laughs> so again, to a degree, I feel like Chris Claremont is making the best lemonade he can out of this bad, bad batch of lemons. Yeah, he's like, This is my final issue. I'm just gonna try to say something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what it is, but I'll figure it out. And then Forge keeps going on of like, the future they see is where they're destined to be the victims. So, of course, they're scared of us. Uh, and if we if they do this attack, they're going to prove that Magneto's right. So it's kind of a it's a catch 22 that they're in. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Gene has this uh, silent with the professor that they've been working on since uh, they were teenagers, which is fine, whatever. Uh, and yeah, that makes sense. That keeps them sort of psychically bonded to a level that nobody on Asteroid M, or I guess theoretically anywhere, can detect. Uh, and that's how they know that the X-Men have been turned and that there's trouble aboard Asteroid M. And the professor knows they're coming. And we cut over to the Asteroid M where the professor is... Uh, it looks like he's sleeping, and Fabian Cortez is like, what are you doing, old man? Forgive me, Lord. Too easy an answer for a dangerous man. He's our deadliest enemy. So I got a question for you. Um, is it the panels themselves or just the massive amount of word balloons that just make this entire issue look messy? Or is it the combination of both? I think it's a combination. Um, the artwork is definitely all over the place. Right. Except when it's not. Um, I feel like there's things where Jim there are, there are pages like like this page we're on now where it starts with a little planet and then a little yeah. shot of yep. all of the X Men uh, kind of gathered together. It's just it's it's there's no there's no kind of other than the panel of Professor X. That's kind of a clean panel, but the rest of it is just messy. Right. So I think maybe well the words are doing a lot of lifting and I think Scott Williams uh, is doing a lot of uh, work as well. I mean, you know, it doesn't feel like Jim Lee has is starting to phone it in yet. No, but I don't. I don't know. Maybe he's getting there. I, I don't know. I don't know how far ahead they are in the cycle. I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. But it, it really feels like if you're going to have your first three parts of this X Men comic and it's going to feature one of your star artists, like every single issue of this three part arc should just be like crushing it art wise. But on the other hand, I get it, right? Like, it takes time to draw all this stuff. So he might have just been like, oh, my God, I got a week to finish this off. Okay, here you go. And they're attempting to do a lot here. They're, they're you know, they're resetting everything back to the 60s. Sort of, yeah. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They're sending Chris Claremont off, yep. barely. Uh, they're trying to do a, a three-parter, whereas they probably could have gotten away with a one parter 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, one one or two parter, or, or a sixty-four page sort of extended, giant-sized X Men, if you will. Um, so Fabian Cortez, he's like, why don't you just um, use Moira's procedure to change the professor to follow like the other X Men? Magneto's like, no, I want him broken. I want his heart to crack. He betrayed me, and I will destroy him. And I can't figure out, is it is the implication supposed to be that Magneto's just, like, losing it? Uh, yeah, I think we can draw some conclusions as we get towards the end of the issue. But yes, uh, he he has learned the information from Moira, or, or you know, the Moira's modified his biology, so he's, he's mad about that. And he refuses to believe that the professor didn't have something to do with that. Right, he feels betrayed by his oldest friend. He feels Even that... Even though ever- Moira's like... The professor had nothing to do with that. I like he wasn't there. I never told him about yeah. it. He just learned about it like minutes ago. Right. And Magneto's like, no, I don't believe you. And well, he's in a rage too because he's just like, I have told you, woman, and I will not do so again. You will speak when spoken to. So he's just he's he's uh, out of his mind with anger and fury, and he's just not willing to listen to reason. And as we'll learn as we go through this issue, there's a there's also an element of manipulation that's occurring here as well yeah which i'm curious if that was the intention at the beginning of issue number one or if this was chris claremont being like this is my last issue so (laughs) i tried to redeem magneto once i'm gonna try to do it again i don't know i don't know either i feel like issue one they didn't know what was going on but by issue two they knew what was going on i don't know i feel like issue number one was sort of a a concerted effort to sort of make Magneto reinvent Magneto as the X-Men's nemesis. Uh, And then in issue number two, some of that started to sort of waver around. And then in this issue, they're like, nah. (laughs) So issue one is where they established this idea of the uh, mutant nation. Right. Issue two is where they get all of the kind of conspiracy ideas and, and things start happening. The We learn about the Magneto protocol and we learn about Fabian Cortez's healing and we learn about Myra McTaggart's uh, conspiracy thing. Um, so I feel like issue two is where they're like, oh, we need to we need to pepper this plot with some interest points. Right. Magneto once again reminds everybody that he was a baby and trusted helpless to your charge. You betrayed that honor to alter my genetic structure. I'm really mad at you. He's getting more and more angry. He's got Moira wrapped up in all this metal. She's like, I don't know, on the ground, and he's getting ready to, I don't know, strangle her or something. Uh, and then he collapses. Like, it's almost as if he has a heart attack. Yeah, so 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 something's going on with Magneto. He's He's way more mad than he should normally be. And he's also, I don't know, physically not not all together there. Right. Get away, he says. She 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 tries to help him, but you know she can't speak. So he just blasts her away with a magnetic pulse, something or other. And then Fabian Cortez, he's like, "Oh, let me help you. Come on, let's go to your quarters. I'll, I'll heal you back up. You'll be just fine." Um, Moira was like, "Ah," oh, thinking to herself because her mouth is covered. Like Magneto, don't you see it? Fabian Cortez is doing harm to you. Which we'll learn about that later. Yep. Because I was like, wait, how? Yeah, yeah. This kind of comes out of left field and does not feel, in my opinion, doesn't feel very well crafted. Like, I feel like we should have seen some hints of this in issue one and two. Yeah. We don't, um, as far as I'm I'm aware. Like, in issue two, we just kind of learn that Fabian Cortez can heal him. And even I, as I read that, I was like, no, 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 no. It's, he's amplifying somebody else's powers, if you remember that conversation. But, yeah, but yeah. no, truly, like, it, Fabian Cortez, like, developed the ability to heal uh, and now he is just kind of uh, Magneto's personal healer. We'll find out more about all of that, but it just kind of seems like, oh, we need to do something with this, so let's do it here. <laughs> so we cut to the X-Men, uh, blue team, gold team, I don't know, the ones that sided with Magneto last issue. They're, they're having, just, they're having yeah, a they're pool just hanging party. around in a swimming pool. Yeah, they're having a pool party on Asteroid M. Although it looks like Cyclops is about to throw down with Fabian Cortez. Yeah. Whether that's a dance party or 
fisticuffs. I don't know. No, you see, what's happening right now is uh, 12 inches of snow is playing on the boombox, <laughs> and they're dancing to Licky Boom Boom Down. It's, it it's, could be. It's, that's exactly what. And then Vanilla Ice comes up next, and they're like, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> it's a white guy party! Woo! Rogue and Cannon, or not Cannonball, Rogue does a Cannonball uh, and splashes Gambit. But now they kind of start or restart sort of their, like, will they, won't they. Oh, I'm so into you, but don't touch me because I've got these powers. Uh, And she freaks out, flies up into the sky, and as she gets up there, she's like, wait, something's wrong. I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, so so whatever... Uh, Moira did to them appears to be wearing off. That is the implication. And then we get some kind of stuff from Wolverine that made me think that, oh, he's also not still siding with the bad guys. Yep. He says, uh, double dose of those come hither eyes, heartbreaker eyes of yours. That'll spook anybody. She'll come to her. She'll give her time. She'll come to her senses. So will you. So Wolverine, the implication there I got was that Wolverine has already come to his senses. Right. In, in terms of Moira McTaggart's stuff and as much complaining as i've been doing about the writing i like this whole exchange because it's not like wolverine going like don't you see you are under the control of blah 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 he's like eh, give it give it a minute you'll, you'll be fine yeah. uh, i gotta go over here though beast sees that wolverine leaves and uh asks himself what he's gonna do about it and i believe does nothing about it right so that's kind of wasted word balloons uh, there goes there goes wolverine wonder where he's going yeah and it when I read this, I was like, okay, this is a nice little seed for however Beast comes to his senses, but it's never really picked back up. So, yeah, right. it's a waste, uh, but it had potential. It could have been something more. I mean, Beast could have at least followed him. Yeah. I mean, well, whatever. Um, so the X-Men in the transparent plane, uh, I guess essentially what? They're coming, they're coming closer to the... Uh, asteroid M, excuse me, and the uh, professor sees them. Moira sees them on the computers, and that's when Wolverine shows up behind her and says, "Oh, well, what's going on? Company coming?" Gene does like a psychic blast. I don't know what Tele- it was, so it's I a psychic over blast it. of telekinetic <laughs> force across the sky. I uh, to maybe oh, it's a grappling hook to pull the okay again. None of this matters. <laughs> it's a it's a telekinetic grappling hook to pull the transparent ship closer to asteroid M. None of this is necessary because we've already established that the X Men are flying around on a transparent glider. They could just land on asteroid M. <laughs> they don't need to yeah. do all this stuff. Uh, anyways, they do. Moira sees Wolverine. Wolverine's all in shadows, and she's like, "Oh my God, no! He's gonna kill me!" And he pops his claws. He, I, I wish he didn't pop his claws because that's just silly. Because like you know. You either you either have kind of figured out the Wolverine's already back or you haven't. Wolverine looks super beefy in this panel. Yeah, he does. So, um, and and it's and it's supposed to be like, oh, Wolverine's gonna kill Moira. It's right. like, no, he's not. no, he's not. We've already sort of read between those lines. We we see that he's kind of come to his senses, uh, and obvious. Well, not obviously, but he's using his claws because he's gonna cut all this metal off of Moira. Right. But they they definitely set it up in sort of like a, a cheesy movie scene of like, oh, the thing you think is about to happen doesn't actually happen. But uh, I guess I guess that does make sense that he's pulling. OK. All right. I take it back. I'm fine with him popping his claws if he's going to be peeling off Moira's. Although, really, that's the last thing you want Wolverine to do. Right. I'm covered in metal. Please don't pull it off with your claws. Right. Well, but again, the sequencing of these panels and like his expression where he just looks like he's angry and he's coming to rescue us, aren't they? Can't say as much of a surprise. Better make sure we give them the welcome they deserve instead of being They're like not playing their cards yet. And I'm fine with that. I just wish they didn't. He didn't pop his claws. I, I, that's, I know. that's one step too far. I know what they're going for. But the reality of the situation would be Wolverine would be coming in. His senses would be like, oh, my God, she's scared out of her wits. Moira, I'm fine. I've come to my senses. I get what's happening. I'm going to release you so that we can make a plan to to, to welcome our X-Men friends. Right. But that wouldn't be dramatic. So they opted to go for this. Oh, my God, Wolverine's going to kill Moira. Right. So. Well, the invisible glider lands on asteroid M. They connect to it somehow, and then Iceman creates a ice wall between the craft and the wall of Asteroid M, and then 
Colossus punches it. Uh, everybody gets something to do. And that allows them access into Magneto M, uh, Magneto M, Asteroid M. And the professor is right there. And he says, pity I was hoping for a pizza delivery. I want to go back to this Iceman thing because in older issues of X-Factor, maybe even older issues of X-Men, they talked about how Iceman's power worked, which was basically pulling moisture out of the air, controlling it, turning it into ice so that he can like basically generate ice out of resources that exist around him. There in the vacuum of space in a invisible glider. Well, Storm is there. So let's assume that Storm is creating a, I don't know, tsunami effect somewhere. Can Storm create tsunamis or can Storm manipulate the weather conditions to cause a tsunami, a tsunami, a tsunami? Like Asteroid M, the invisible spacecraft has a pool. Ah, okay, fair enough. Uh, Colossus punches his way in, and yes, we get the pizza joke. Uh, Colossus is like, oh, Storm, is is Professor unwell? He just made a joke. Contrary to popular belief, he, Peter, the man is only human, complete with a sense of humor, says Jean Grey. Somebody let their, their teenage child letter that word balloon. Very, very <laughs> different than all the other word balloons. Uh, such as it is, Archangel says, getting his dig in, and the professor's like, eh, too, Archangel, don't I get any respect from anybody? And he pulls on his collar, <laughs> like Rodney Dangerfield. And <laughs> now we're out that's, of that. That's my Roger Dangerfield. It's very good. <laughs> and now we're out of that joke sequence. And, um, I don't know what their plan is. Do they, do they plan on escaping? No, they're going to confront them. They they barge into Asteroid M, and they're like, we got to find the X-Men, and okay. uh, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. And Cyclops pops out and says, not necessarily, Forge. We've already found you. And he gives uh, Jean Grey a huge kiss on the lips and says, so tell me, Red, is my kiss as much fun as Wolverine's? So this is a callback to when Wolverine did the same thing to Jean Grey. Probably. Was that Jim Lee, or was that somebody else? Ah, uh, that's a good question. It might have been Mark Silvestri and Dan Green. I think it Green. was Silvestri. But he doesn't say that. He just, like, Wolverine just grabs her and kisses. Right. I don't remember if he says, like, was that as good as Cyclops? I think he just does the kiss and Cyclops <laughs> is like, what the hell? Yeah. But it's fine. Whatever. I, I don't, like, this doesn't feel like Cyclops even under manipulation. Right. But maybe he's just happy to see her. I don't know. <laughs> Well, and there's, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, But then he blasts her. So, no, this is just totally out of character. Because, well, yeah, he blasts her and says, because it may well be your last. So Moira's enhancements also make the X-Men jerks? Yep. Great. Sarcastic, uh, uh, misogynist jerks. Wonderful. (laughs) And Store, or uh, Rogue and Gambit jump in to join the battle. Um... We had forgotten who this large acolyte is, so the professor helpfully reminds us, the acolyte Delgado. Yeah. Jumps in to, to pull uh, Colossus aside. and Somebody's got to fight Colossus. Slam him into the ground. And I don't think we ever get to see Delgado after this. But Beast uh, takes out Delgado, so that's where we learn that Beast is clearly okay. Yep. And when I hear the name Delgado, there's only one character I think of. Who's that? Hector Delgado. Who's that? What? Is that from The Simpsons? I don't know. No. I'm going to Google it just to make sure I'm right. Hector Delgado is, I'm pretty sure he's shipwreck. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know their their names. Yeah, he's he's the he's the greatest character in the TV show. He doesn't get much to do in the comics. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> oh, he's so awesome. I love him. He's my favorite character in the in the uh tv show it's interesting how in the tv show he doesn't start out as a joe he doesn't no he's just a guy they meet really that they uh that they pay for information (laughs) but he he sides with who is clearly the good guys that at first he's just like a gun for hire really and then i guess he joins the joe team i don't remember that yeah it's in one of those five-parters, one of those, one oh. of the first two, I think it's the second five-parter. Okay, well, that would make sense. They didn't really know what they were doing at that point. Yeah. It's all making it up. But, so, but by the time the, the uh, syndicated episode one came around, he was a, he's a Joe. He's a full-time Joe. Gotcha. 
Let's not forget about that last two-parter, Welcome to Springfield. That was a good one. It's a great one. Still pretty creepy written. That I believe that was written by Steve Gerber. Really? Uh, writer of uh, many Marvel comics of this age. Sure. Well, anyways, um, they fight. They do a lot of fighting, uh, you know. It actually ends pretty quickly, uh, all things considered. I mean, it's it's a, like two or three pages here, but it just kind of ends abruptly with Magneto showing up and like, you guys got to stop fighting. You know, it's a decent fight. It starts with Gambit hitting Banshee, then cuts to Forge shooting at Gambit, who's able to fire his uh, particles back at Forge. Iceman hits Gambit with an ice block, and then Psylocke swoops down to attack Iceman. It's nice how it it's it's well paced. It it moves it moves in a way that's easy to follow. It jumps from character to character doing stuff. Um, it was this is probably the one of the better action sequences I've ever seen in comics, to be honest. The bad team, the bad X-Men team, is using classic X-Men teamwork to take down uh, the uncanny X-Men team. And the thing that I think we've glossed over is that uh, as the X-Men use their powers, Moira's um, process is worn off. So that's why when Rogue flew up in the air after sort of being surprised by Gambit, she came to her senses. I guess we can just assume that Wolverine's healing power is constantly healing himself, so yeah, he comes to his senses. Eh, Beast did a jump or something. We don't know. We saw it up <laughs> Yeah, there. really. Beast was just Beast, right? Pretty much. <laughs> Isn't but... his mutant power essentially being a big blue monster? It... Or or is it more of his agility? It I don't know. It takes cycles. A plus B. It takes Cyclops maybe two or three blasts, but by the time he does his third blast, he's like, wait, what am I doing? This isn't... This is insane. Yeah. Ain't all together sure myself. Ain't all together sure myself, except residing with our deadliest foes against our nearest and dearest, and that ain't natural, says Rogue. No, not at all. I hope you recognize that that's Rogue. <laughs> and then uh, Magneto, he comes out and he's like, oh, I knew that no power could bind you. You're so good. <laughs> <laughs> even You're too strong even when it's for your own good. But I had hoped. Good. Mister, you don't know the meaning of the word, says Cyclops, blasting uh, uh, Magneto. What I did, Cyclops, I did to save you by making us your puppets. And I can't tell if Magneto is using his powers of magnetism to deflect Cyclops's blast or if he just gets blasted by Cyclops but either way he goes down like he's having another heart attack and green haired girls start shooting Cyclops and Magneto says no don't uh, and hits him I think maybe drawing blood even well he is maybe not unconscious but he's down in the next panel so yeah, he's like holding his sh shoulder so I don't know if that means he's out for the count yeah that's something you don't see very often is an X-Man getting shot by a gun that's true. But uh, Magneto comes back to his senses. He says, enough. I'm not going to have anybody in my home further despoiled. I do not wish to harm the X-Men, uh, but I also can't afford you to further my oppression. Here we get a classic back and forth. Professor X uh, versus Magneto talking about their ideologies, basically. When all is said and done, your dream Magneto cannot endure because it will be forever tainted by the blood of those you've sacrificed along the way and so professor the whole point of professor x's dream is that they want to live in peace without hurting anybody and magneto's like well they're hurting us so we have to hurt them and then professor's like well that makes us just as bad as them and that's what we don't want so classic ideology right uh stuff is that what you want? Merciful glory. He's discorporating, which I was like, holy crap. Because doesn't discorporating basically mean a physical body turning into like uh, vapor? Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> but he basically just goes down for the count. Uh, Wolverine comes up and says, game's over, bub. Time to call it quits. Magneto's like, fine, do it. I don't care. You're, you're an executioner. Kill me. I can't stop you. And then Wolverine's like, I, I draw the line at murder, which yeah. I mean... Nah. Cut to 400 issues later, and he's not going to draw the line at murder with Magneto. I mean, yeah. Spoilers. I don't even. I don't even know which issue it is. Yeah. I just know that at some point, at some point, Wolverine's had enough. I I feel like a better line of dialogue would be like I, 
I kill out of self-defense, but I won't kill an injured animal or something like that. You know, because Magneto's like on his knees. Yeah. To be out of character for Wolverine to be like, oh, now that you're begging, I'll kill you. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, And Moira finally gets to tell us like, hey, you know what? Uh, I did do a thing to you, Magneto. Uh, It was wrong. I feel bad for that. But you know what? It didn't work. Uh, It actually only worked until you used your mutant power. Once you started using your mutant power, my process reversed itself so everything you've done throughout all those years since you were a baby and once your powers manifested uh it was all your own choice i feel like you lead with that yes <laughs> <laughs> well she tried but he kept shutting her up but well no i mean that's why you lead with it you just be like tell me tell me what the process what, what you did to me woman it was like what i did was only temporary but let me explain it to you well i it could have also been sort of well-written to, to for Moira to figure this out of like, hey, you know what? I did actually think my process worked. I did actually think it was permanent. But now I see the X-Men who are undergoing my same process, reverting back to their normal states after using their powers by process of elimination. It was yeah. a failure. But we don't do any of that. We just She just knows all this information now. She also goes on to explain that Fabian Cortez does not have healing powers. What he was doing was taking Magneto's powers and uh, I guess enhancing him the way that his power works is he kind of makes people's powers go to their maximum level. Right. And that was sorting, sort of making Magneto feel better for a little bit. And he just kept doing that. But it wasn't actually healing him. It was just making him feel better temporarily until he got back to being weak. And Magneto's like, you lie. And that's when they learn that Fabian Cortez has split. He's bugging out on the escape pod. We tried to stop him. You didn't see it, but that's why I was late getting here. Uh, your, <laughs> your asteroid's too flaming big, says Wolverine. Uh, and Storm says, he's fleeing before the plasma cannon is fired. And Cyclops is like, what plasma cannon? Do we really need to know that Wolverine tried to stop him? I mean, we didn't see it, so why bother? This is Chris Claremont. So he's like, I got to fill all of this. Like, how did all this happen? How do we get from point A to point B? I got to describe it all. We didn't show any of it. So, but to your point, we don't. Like, Wolverine was over here. He's over here. And nobody saw Fabian Cortez leave. You don't need to talk about that at all. You just be like, look, they're escaping. Yeah. Well, Fabian Cortez somehow launches the plasma cannon and he also somehow has rigged the nuclear weapons that magneto picked up in the last issue to go off at the same time so uh the the i guess fabian cortez's plan was to make a martyr out of magneto all along um magneto is able to stop the nuclear warheads but the plasma cannon does hit asteroid m and the x-men are somehow ready i guess what are they leaving in are they going back in the transparent ship or do they have some other sure. means of escape? Looks like the transparent ship because you can see through it. Well, we also we also get a bit of a, a Kobayashi Maru situation here where the professor's like, come with us, Magneto. Like, we're friends. We can we can figure this out. And Magneto's like, nope, the plasmas attacked the ship. I'm using the totality of my power to keep it all at bay. If I leave, we'll all die. If I stay, you can live. So go live, and I'll die. So what was the Kobayashi Maru? I know Captain Kirk. It was a maneuver that Captain Kirk did in order to beat, or did he beat the Kobayashi Maru, or was his technique the Kobayashi Maru? Well, he so the Kobayashi Maru is a no-win situation, which is effectively okay. what this is. And gotcha. uh, Captain Kirk cheated to beat the Kobayashi Maru, but then at the end of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, he's faced with a true no-win situation. Doesn't have the ability to cheat, and Spock has to pay the ultimate price. Okay. Yeah. So it's an it's an analogy. Gotcha. I just wanted to throw some geekdom in there. <laughs> I knew what you were talking about, but I couldn't remember what the Kobayashi Maru was. Any chance to work the Kobayashi Maru into a conversation is worthwhile. They brought it back for the movie. Um, yeah. Uh, I think they're in the transparent glider because you see this explosion. You see a bunch of lines that all of the X-Men are in. Uh, yeah, you see you see bodies where you shouldn't see bodies. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know how they got it. I mean, they don't really explain... I thought it was a glider. Are they just, are they propelled by the explosion? Sure. Does somebody like have, does Storm have the wherewithal to like push them or something? Magneto uses magnetic. But he can't because it's a, they specifically 
created a glider that Magneto could have no effect over. They, so it's got to be somebody else. I mean, they have, they have a ship full of X-Men, so I'm sure somebody did something. They built a ship that couldn't be detected by Magneto. Magneto can use mag- magnetic rays to repulse things. We've seen him do it a hundred times. Okay, so you're saying that he did stuff to affect the exterior of the... I'm going to go with the X-Men did something. I'm going to go with uh, Iceman created an ice uh, uh, kind of a bridge to shunt them away from Asteroid M, and then Storm picked up from there and just got them moving a little bit, and now they're just kind of gliding in space. I'm going to say that the issue is at an end, and (laughs) they basically just drew some stuff and wrote some lines. That's not enough. (laughs) So Magneto does a bit of a a soliloquy here as he's... Oh, because Magneto, the professor is in psychic rapport with Magneto uh, because he's like, at the last, he opened his thoughts to me. He is still the man I remember from a younger, happier days. Uh, And it basically just goes on to say, like, look... I don't believe in your dream. I survived a Holocaust. I don't want to be in another one, but um, I give you this chance. Uh, make it a good world. Uh, and if you can't, I might have to jump in. But then you see Asteroid M explode. So I uh, question mark, is it Chris Claremont's intention to be like, Magneto is dead. There is no more Magneto. Yeah, probably. And because I, comics, But at the right. same time, I don't think Chris Claremont or Jim Lee ever believed that Magneto wouldn't be coming back. Right. But so, yeah, every every closing of a chapter is a closing of a chapter until it isn't right. in comics. I give you your dream, Charles, but I fear in time your heart will break as, your, as you realize it has uh, ever been a fool's hope. Farewell, my friend. Uh, and you see that as Asteroid M uh, is obliterated in Earth's atmosphere. Archangel says, got to say this for the man. He knows how to make an exit. He sure does. You did wrong, Moira, says the professor, scolding Moira for some reason at this point. It's like, (laughs) wait until we get back. Yeah. We are not gods, though our uh, powers make us think so differently. Uh, We have no right to tamper with another's inner being, but you are also not to blame. He also said, he also does not say you're just a human. So that tracks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He even says our powers, referring to, you know, the whole room. Magneto says earlier, like, you stupid human. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't know. Right, right. Uh, perhaps the time has come to do some shaping of our own to act uh, on the stage of history. Uh, we've made our choices, live by the dream. You know, and I feel like we should read this because it's Chris Claremont's last issue, but another part of me is just like, blah, blah, blah. Pretty, pretty <laughs> much. Uh, they have it in themselves to be X-Men strive for the heights of the potential to seek out the best in ourselves i also was like as i read this i was like i wonder if there's a way for me to sort of retell or 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 reword these so that he's talking because he's looking directly at uh all the x-men are looking directly at us and have this be more of a scolding towards tom defalco (laughs) (laughs) no i don't think so i couldn't Um, what matters is the attempt and our powers Our role as heroes, perhaps even the simple fact that we live, gives us the obligation to try. With great power comes great responsibility, is basically what the professor said. Yeah. CSC 1976-1991. Finn, for now. But more importantly, next, Omega Red. And things are going to get awesome. Yeah, man. I do do like issue four. I have to say, I, I, I reread that probably a lot. It's one of those issues that you just reread over and over again i thumbed through it the art's beautiful uh a lot better than this issue uh i didn't read it so i I don't know if it'll hold up i don't remember other than like omega red shows up and he's awesome i don't remember either all i remember is the x-men play basketball yes there's a lot of basketball which gotta wonder if that's kind of an homage to the to chris claremont's baseball montages Probably. It's probably like an updating to the 90s sort of thing. Right. This is Jim Lee's sort of team uh, event. It's not baseball anymore. It's basketball. Yeah. Which... And they would never play basketball again. <laughs> <laughs> as far as we know, anyways. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was all right. It was a bit of a mess. It was like too many characters, too many characters having to do too much stuff. If you give everybody a chance to do something, then you run out of space. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense uh, to have both teams finish off 
Chris Claremont's run because then he gets a chance to write everybody, write everybody one last time. Eh, I don't know. It just happens. It it all happens too quickly because they don't have enough time. The right. the X Men show up. The X Men turn good. Magneto explodes. Done. <laughs> exactly. I feel like, uh, and again, maybe it just doesn't matter. It's the '90s. Jim Lee's writing these comics are selling like crazy. Probably nobody really cares all that much, but I feel like uh, in a more modern sort of send off of a fan favorite writer or artist, the story would have been a little bit more well crafted. Yeah, but. What do I know? I don't know. You yeah. know some things. <laughs> I do know some things. I can tell you all about the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's it's too bad. Uh, so Chris Claremont will come back in like the late 300s or early 400s. Something like that. Something yeah. Like he, that. He, re- he returns to Uncanny. Returns to Uncanny. Or does he? I think he returns to both at the same time. Oh, he might. I read a few of the Uncanny issues, uh, and then there's it's it's not a long run. It's maybe twenty twenty five issues or something like yeah. that. Uh, and but then he does come back again. Oh, he does. Yeah, uh, even later. Oh. And I think then he's just writing Uncanny, and then they also give him a new title, hmm. which is what Extreme X Men or something like that. I can't remember. Hmm. Okay. Well, I just remember the send-off they gave him at the end of one of those runs was like, we'd like to thank Chris Claremont for coming back and doing another five years with us. He's awesome, but starting next month, it's the better guy. <laughs> it's somebody more popular. It it was uh, the the guy I talk about a lot, whose name I can Ed never Brubaker? remember. Ed Brubaker? Yes. Yep. They dumped yeah. Chris Claremont for Ed Brubaker. But I think that's that might be when they give him his own title. So that might be when the extreme or the extacular or whatever they're called. Ecstatics? And that's not ecstatics. That's yeah. a whole different thing. I don't know. All that's of that stuff X-Force is... X-Force eventually becomes. Uh, yeah. All that stuff is a mystery to me. I don't imagine we're going to cover it when X-Force gets loopy. Because although I do enjoy it, it's it's just it's it, it's, its own thing. Is that... kind of separates. Is that with dupe? That's with dupe. Okay. I like the idea. I've never read any of those issues, but they they do look kind of off the wall. They're they're a lot of fun, but they never really connect to anything. Yeah, nothing wrong with in that. In my opinion. I don't know. I could be wrong. Like none of those characters outside of Dupe ever appears in a mainstream X-Men comic. Okay. And I don't know if that's by design or whatever. Maybe we'll get there. Okay, Adam. Well, do you have anything else? No, I do not. Okay. Well, until next time... My name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Closed.